That phrase that uh, Luke liked so much is scriptural. Galatians. God forbid that I should boast, save in the cross of Christ Jesus my Lord, by which the world is crucified to me and I to the world. We're going to look at the resurrection of Jesus this morning. That's the traditional thing to do on Easter. But we're going to try to uh, make it real for everyone by hopefully answering the question, why is the resurrection of Jesus so important to everyone, not just Christians? We're going to answer that this morning, Lord willing. So if you have your Bible, turn this morning to John chapter 19 please <clears throat> by the way if uh, you you come to this church much you know that we don't <clears throat> wait until once a year to celebrate the resurrection of jesus christ we do it every sunday in fact uh real believers do it every day And use it as a motivation to look forward to his return. John chapter 19, we'll uh, begin with one verse, verse 38. This is after the crucifixion of the Lord Jesus. After this, Joseph of Arimathea, being a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus. And Pilate gave him permission, so he came and took the body of jesus we're not going to begin right away with the resurrection itself i want to begin with with what has to happen before a resurrection and that's death jesus was dead there are some crazy theories about jesus swooning or something like that the scripture is very clear that he was dead we're going to affirm that um twice in fact the soldiers who knew very well what they were doing confirmed that he was dead first uh we know that uh when joseph asked for the body he went to pilate and pilate had the centurion that's the head of all the guys go out and check to make sure he was dead and uh then later in this uh, same book john when they went around to uh, check the uh, crucified victims since it was coming up the Sabbath, Pilate had asked, or the Jews actually had asked, that the uh, soldiers break their legs. They use a big mallet. Isn't that terrible? To hasten their death. And uh, when they came to the Lord Jesus, they didn't break his legs because these soldiers saw that he was already dead. <clears throat> uh, it says here in uh, the verse we read, he took the body of Jesus. It's interesting, in the Gospel of Luke, there's one little word that's added. It's very significant to me. It says he took the body of Jesus, <clears throat> excuse me, down. He took the body of Jesus down. What is that saying? It means he took him down from the cross. You ever thought about that? What it must have been like for Joseph? They uh, crucified people. <clears throat> we would only have to guess at exactly how they did it until uh in the middle of last century they actually found a heel bone in israel with the spike still through it and um so we know how big the nails were they were five inches 
So just to give you an idea, that's a five-inch spike. That's what they use to nail Jesus to the cross. This is how you attach people to wood. And uh, it wasn't an easy thing to take someone down after crucifixion because it was through the bone of the heel. I would imagine Joseph would try to be as gentle as he could. But uh, if you've ever worked with large nails in wood, you know, once you get them in, they're hard to get out. Then uh, verse 39. And Nicodemus, who at first came to Jesus by night, also came, bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about a hundred pounds. Then they took the body of Jesus and bound it in strips of linen with the spices, as the custom of the Jews is to bury. Now, in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden. And in the garden, a new tomb in which no one had yet been laid. So there they laid Jesus because of the Jews' preparation day, for the tomb was nearby. They took down the lifeless body of Jesus. Um, it's interesting that the spices they used... Now, what the Jews would do, they had strips of cloth, kind of like a mummy. They would wrap them up. And as they wrapped the linen uh, strips around the body, they would insert uh, the aloes, for example. It's just a plant. It smells beautiful. And uh, myrrh also, it's actually resin from a tree. Beautiful uh, smell. It was to, the, the fragrance was to drown out this, the smell of the decaying body. And they would intersperse these things as they wrapped the linen around the body. Um, a few people kind of were amazed at the amount there, 100 pounds, you're right. That's an awful lot. Uh, in fact, this was the typical amount they would use to bury royalty, a king. Poor people could not afford this sort of thing. Uh, myrrh literally was worth its weight in gold. So uh, picture in your mind, if you will now, the, the tomb would be a cave carved out of rock. And you've seen the pictures, the depictions. Uh, we know that they had a huge stone, you know, big enough to roll over the entrance uh, to seal it when they were done. So they were inside this tomb um, preparing the body of Jesus. And so you can imagine them, uh, Joseph and Nicodemus, as they bind the linen around the body of Jesus, uh, inserting the, uh, the spices and the, and the fragrant incense and so on. And it's so strange that Jesus is lifeless there. And as I thought about this, I thought, what might have passed through their minds? Um, it, it, if you've ever experienced the loss of a loved one, <clears throat> you, there are so many things about death. One of the strange things is it, when you see them lying there, they don't do the things you're used to them doing. It's very strange. You know, their lips don't speak. You could lift up their hand and it, it just falls. You could speak to them and they don't hear you. That's the way it was here with the body of Jesus. And as they looked at Jesus, I wonder what their thoughts were as I read Nicodemus. You know Nicodemus from John chapter 3. He was the Pharisee who came at night. And, and he's so, uh, I think, a little nervous and hesitant. He, he's not quite sure how to start off the conversation with Jesus. And so he says something uh, like, uh, Rabbi, we know you're from God because a man 
can't do the kind of things you do except God sent him. I don't know where that's going. I think he's kind of saying, you know, we approve of you. But Jesus got right to it. He said, truly, truly, I say to you, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Wow. That was Jesus. Lifeless now. Those lips that had uttered those precious words that today still have such meaning were unmoving. His voice was stilled as he lay there. Those words that had uttered, uh, those lips that had uttered the words, be healed, so many times, were silent now. He had given speech to the dumb, and now his voice was silent. To the woman in adultery, those precious words, neither do I condemn you. To the woman, we don't know her name. She's simply called a sinner. Your sins are forgiven. So many precious words those lips had spoken. Uh, It says in the Gospels, Then he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Talking about raising the dead those lips that were so motionless now had cried out lazarus come forth and even the dead couldn't resist that command as lazarus came traipsing out in his grave clothes to the wind and the waves peace be still and they were now silent how strange that that voice is now stilled as Joseph and and Nicodemus work and cover it with the cloth. His eyes are unseeing now. Isn't that strange? Those eyes that had seen so much now see nothing. Often in the Gospels, you know, if you've read enough of it, they saw multitudes. How many times does it say Jesus looking out on the multitudes and you could just see him scanning them face by face as he looked over the crowd? It says when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them because they were weary and scattered like sheep without a shepherd. Those eyes of compassion. Then Jesus lifted up his eyes and seeing a great multitude coming toward him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread to feed these? Sometimes that look could have a sting of rebuke in it. When he went to synagogue one day, they had planted a man who had a withered hand in their midst because they wanted to see what Jesus would do because they had a law that you can't work on the Sabbath. Now, that was from God, but they expended it so far that you can't heal on the Sabbath because it's work. And they wanted to catch him. He knew that, but his compassion was greater. And so he called the man forward. And he preempted them. He looked around at them and he said, which is lawful, to kill or to heal on the Sabbath? Is that good? How do you answer that? (laughs) Well, you know what they did? They didn't say anything. 
They had hard hearts. They didn't care about the man. They didn't care about healing. And so it says, uh, when he had looked around at them with anger, it says, anger. He was angry because of their hardness of heart, it says. He had the man stretch forth his hand and he healed him. But it wasn't uh, always rebuked. Sometimes uh, I'm always amazed at this, you know, the rich young ruler. What must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus listed uh, some of the laws. And this guy had the audacity to say, oh, yeah, I've kept those since my youth. You know, (laughs) wow. You know, I think if I were there, I think if some of us Christians were here, we go, you hypocrite. You haven't done that. You know what it says about Jesus? This is incredible. It says Jesus, looking at him, loved him. Wow. Those eyes. He saw through the the hypocrisy and the covetousness to a soul that wanted to, to live forever. That's what he'd asked. He wanted it bad. Jesus wanted it for him too. One of the great looks from the eyes of Jesus is recorded. You almost miss it when you read it. Jesus had predicted that Peter would deny Jesus three times. And there he is warming his hands by the fire as Jesus is being interrogated uh, inside. And uh, three times they ask him, you you know, you, you were one of them, Peter. No, I don't even know the man. Last time he cursed. And it says at that point, Jesus turning looked at him. Now those eyes are as sightless as those of the man born blind. Actually, as those of the man born blind before he met Jesus. (laughs) Because he's not blind anymore. Jesus gave him the gift of sight. The hands of Jesus. Now motionless. How strange. You know, Jesus is not even assisting them as they wrap him. They have to lift him up and gently lay him back down as they bind him with the cloth. Those hands that had done so much good. Later, John says here in the gospel that of all the things were recorded that Jesus said and did, the the world couldn't contain the book. Now limp and helpless how strange those hands that had done so much good made clay to heal the blind man peter's mother-in-law it's it's interesting if you ever read the gospels go through and look at how many times it talks about the hands of jesus peter's mother-in-law had a fever and it says he touched her hand he could have just said it but i love that personal touch he touched her hand and the fever left her Two blind men came to him. He touched their eyes. There was a fellow who was blind and deaf. Jesus put his fingers in his ears and touched his eyes. And he says, be opened. And and all four of them were his two ears and his two eyes. Not just uh, deaf and blind. Shockingly to people at that time, and even to us today, lepers. If you saw a leper, you wouldn't want to go up and touch him. As a leper came and worshipped him, saying, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. Then Jesus put out his hand and touched him and said, I am willing. Be clean. And in that act, 
Jesus didn't become unclean. The unclean man became clean. Jairus' daughter. It's so tender. It says he took her by the hand and said in Aramaic, little girl, arise. Took her by the hand. You can just, she's dead. Took her by the hand and said, okay, get up. Time to get up now. And she gets up. Those hands that had done so much now, lifeless and torn by those nails. How strange. His ears are now deaf. Nicodemus could shout to Jesus there as he lay on the slab. And he wouldn't hear a word. Those ears that had heard so much. Think of the things Jesus heard in his life. Questions. So many questions, huh? Mocking. Pleas for help. The first one comes to mind. Dear old Bartimaeus. What a wretch. He's a beggar and he's blind. He's an embarrassment to those around him. Jesus is walking by with some of his followers and uh, he's crying out, Son of David, have mercy on me. And the cross says, Shut up, be quiet. You're spoiling the parade. And they would have passed by, but not Jesus. You see, Jesus heard him cry out. And Jesus stopped, it says. And he says, what do you want? Lord, that I might receive my sight. He saw from that day on because Jesus heard him. And yet so much of what Jesus heard was hurtful. He who had spoken so many words of comfort and encouragement to others The last words he heard were on the cross and they were not words of pity or compassion. If you are the son of God, come down. If. He saved others. He cannot save himself. There's such irony in these, isn't there? Because he wasn't saving himself. He was saving others. He trusted in God. Let him deliver him now if he will have him. How these words must have cut him to the heart. You know, it says that uh, he was led like a lamb to the slaughter. And uh, like a sheep before its shearers is dumb, he did not open his mouth. What that means is uh, he didn't respond in kind. He spoke. Because he he responded to these. Remember, he did speak. What did he say? Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. Now his ears, they're deaf. He can hear nothing. Verse 42, it said, there they laid Jesus. What strange words. They They laid Jesus. He's helpless. In death. The Lord of life, the author of life, the one who gives all life and breath is being laid out in death. Now, we need a word of explanation here. We've been talking about Jesus being dead as well he was. But we need to understand something. The body that was there was not all Jesus. 
In fact, in a sense, it wasn't Jesus. It was his body. We get so used to looking at people physically, we think that's all there is to them. Nothing could be further from the truth. What makes you, you is not your body. <laughs> okay? You need to remember that. This body, if the Lord tarries that you see here, is going to decay and turn to dust. Here, yours too. But that's not you. Your spirit, your soul, the unseen uh, parts, if you will, the immaterial part of you is you. Your soul and your spirit. And so this body that they were preparing was, in a sense, not Jesus. It was his body, but Jesus had left that body. Listen, uh, he talks about it on the cross. When he died, Jesus said, Father, into your hands, I commit my spirit. He was dying voluntarily, leaving his body. He died just like anybody else. That's what death is. It's the separation of the soul and spirit from the body. Right? We, we would, now, I wouldn't know that if I didn't have a Bible. Praise God, we have this book. So, death took place on the cross when Jesus literally dismissed his spirit. But it was a voluntary death. He, he wasn't a victim. Jesus said earlier, I laid down my life I lay down my life, notice, that I may take it again. You ever heard anybody talk like that? Huh? Now, they may have talked like that, <laughs> but they couldn't do anything about it. But Jesus could. Jesus said, I am going to die, and then I am going to take my life back again. Wow. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down and I have power to take it again. Wow. Jesus answered and said to them, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. And in case there's any doubt about what he was uh, talking about when the Jews said, what are you talking about? The temple took 42 years to build. It says, but he was speaking of the temple of his body. Jesus said many times before he died that he would lay down his life. He would die. And he's dead here in the scene now. But he would take back his life again. In a sense, he would rejoin, re-inhabit his body. You know, I want you to be careful about that. I, I hear some brothers sometimes well-meaning and they talk about Jesus in a body kind of like in a spacesuit or something. That's, no, he was a man like you and me. Okay? Fully human. And he died just like you and I will, unless the Lord comes and takes us straight to heaven, which I wouldn't mind at all. But until that, uh, that day, if, if he tarries, I'm getting pretty close, okay? But the word the Bible uses for, for a, a Christian is not death, but sleep, okay? So that's what we need to remember here. This body is the body of Jesus. His spirit is not here in the body at the moment. That's why he's dead. That's the definition of death. But he is going to voluntarily return, if you will, and be alive again. Only God can do that. 
Okay. Try it when you're dead. Okay. Let's resume our narrative now. Uh, chapter 20. Now, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. Then she ran and came to Simon Peter and to the other disciple, which is John, by the way. He's a very modest fellow. Whenever he talks about himself, he calls himself the other disciple. He doesn't use his name. Uh, whom Jesus loved and said to them, they have taken away the Lord out of the tomb and we do not know where they have laid him. Okay, there's a big gap between chapter 19 and 20. Uh, we ended on Friday late afternoon in verse 42. Now here we are on Sunday morning. To fulfill the three days. Actually, it's about 48 or even a little less, but it's a portion of three days. And that's the prophecy that Jesus would be dead. And it seemed like an eternity to the disciples, including Mary. We, we can't imagine how their world had just completely fallen apart. The sorrow, the grief, the fear. Hey, the guy you've been following has just been crucified. Okay. What does it say prophetically in John? Smite the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. And that's what's happened. A, a sense of helplessness, which is common to all who have lost a love, loved one. Nothing you can do. And hopelessness. Um, you know, Jesus appeared on the road to Emmaus uh, to the two brothers there. And I like what they said. They said, we had hoped that it would be him who would redeem Israel. You got that? We had hope, they say. Our, our hope is gone. We had hope before, but it's gone. Now Jesus is dead and, and we don't know what to do. Little do they know it's going to be replaced by a much greater hope than they ever had so here we have mary mary magdalene we know from mark it says out of whom jesus had cast seven demons seven demons we cannot imagine what her life must have been like beforehand but we can imagine how it must have been afterwards she was changed for the better one of the countless thousands of lives touched by the lord jesus and we know also from the other uh, gospel accounts she's coming because they had prepared more spices and ointment to finish preparing the body of jesus uh on friday saturday was sabbath you can't work remember so as soon as she can early sunday morning she's coming to finish the preparation and she gets there and the body is gone um she gets uh peter and john you saw that they have a little foot race uh john not immodestly this time says he beat peter there on the foot race uh between the two it's interesting though john just kind of leaned and peeked in peter good old impetuous peter he went right in man and looked around check it out you know the interesting thing is and then they went back to their homes okay now what <laughs> and it says plainly verse 9 as yet they did not know the scripture that he must rise again from the dead we need to remember that right now they're just perplexed but they're still uh, mostly sorrowful sad 
hopeless and helpless with maybe a little glimmer of hope but i mean hey no way he's dead you know when you're dead that's it they know that one of the great quotes from peter between now and his transformation into a preacher by the risen lord was i'm going fishing didn't know what to do with himself so here's mary and listen to this you can just see the uh grief and the distraction with her now as she realizes that her lord is uh, the body is gone verse 11 but mary stood outside by the tomb weeping and as she wept she stooped down and looked into the tomb and she saw two angels in white sitting one at the head and the other at the feet where the body of jesus had lain then they said to her woman why are you weeping she said to them because they have taken away my lord and i do not know where they have laid him now when she had said this, she turned around and saw jesus standing there and did not know that it was jesus jesus said to her woman why are you weeping whom are you seeking she supposing him to be the gardener said to him sir if you have carried him away tell me where you have laid him and i will take him away isn't that pathetic it's just heart-wrenching deep in her heart like anyone who has lost someone that they love she longed for him to be alive again but i mean it was so suppressed she knows you're dead once you're dead that's it and so the next best thing if she can just be there where his body is maybe see him once again or see his body anyway it would be some small comfort and she's so heartbroken because she's deprived of even that small comfort it's like robbery and this is so pathetic uh she says look where have you taken him i'll take him away look he's got a hundred pounds of spices in him and in his own weight mary is not going to be able to take him away but she's what she's saying is i'm not going to trouble you look you just tell me where it is, where he is that's all i want to know and i'll take care of him well as we know this gardener is jesus she doesn't know it yet she doesn't recognize him and if you think about it now we know jesus is about to reveal himself to her of all the possible ways he could do it uh it could be a mild rebuke as he often did you know oh you of little faith he could have said something like that or uh, like um they said to the disciples elsewhere you know why do you seek the living among the dead or uh, he could have said uh, the gardener i'm the lord you know how did jesus reveal himself well read verse 16 jesus said to her one word mary she turned and said to him rabboni which is to say teacher isn't that beautiful her her name how familiar that must have sounded to her you know just hearing him say her name mary and she knew it was him now it's interesting there's something left out here because <laughs> she was so happy she grabbed hold of him 
She didn't want to lose him. She'd lost him once and she didn't want to lose him again because uh, Jesus said to her, do not cling to me. Literally, stop clinging to me. (laughs) She was just so happy. The most eloquent response that Jesus could have given. Mary. Jesus, earlier in the Gospel of John, said about himself as the good shepherd, something that fits this scene so beautifully. Jesus said, to him, that is to himself, the good shepherd, the the doorkeeper opens and the sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name and he leads them out. And when he brings out his own sheep, he goes before them and the sheep follow him for they know his voice. Well, Mary and soon the other disciples uh, is a happy woman. Uh, There are innumerable consequences now of Jesus being raised from the dead. By the way, I don't know if you've noticed it now. Jesus is alive. Okay. And he still is right now. It says that all over scripture, he died once, never to die again. He reveals himself in Revelation. This is an interesting way to talk. I am the one who was dead and who was alive forevermore. Listen to that. Was dead. Who do you know who can say that? I was dead. Nobody except Jesus. Some of the consequences of the resurrection of Jesus. You think it's important to us believers? Let me just give you a few ideas. First of all, one of the most important things it says in Romans that Jesus Christ was declared to be the Son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead. Everything he said about himself is true. That's what that's saying. He is God. That's it. That's the, that's the amen on Jesus' public ministry, the resurrection from the dead. But typically, like so many things, everything that Jesus did, most of it's for us. Every time he did something, it was for others. So the resurrection. He was raised for our justification, it says. He died for our offenses. He was raised for our justification. Uh, Now it says because he was raised, he ever lives to make intercession for us. We have been raised with him to newness of life. You say, wait a minute. No, no, no. That's later. No, now. We have been, past tense. Because when you were saved, brother and sister... You were baptized into Christ. You were placed into him and you shared his death, burial and resurrection. I'm not making that up. That's in Romans six and elsewhere. You and I were crucified with him. The old man is rendered uh, weak, not 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 annihilated, but uh, uh, made pretty much powerless. And then we were raised with him to a new life. Praise God. We shared his resurrection. Uh, next, because he was raised from the dead, he's going to come back. Okay, he left this scene, but with the intention of returning where he belongs, on the throne. And he will do that. Next, because he's raised, he will raise us up to be with him. Isn't that great? You know, uh, you may have some uh, cares and concerns in your life, but you can scratch one off the list now. It's called death. How's that? That's not bad, huh? Wow. By the way, to be with him forever, 
Okay? Doesn't, it's not going to end. And then he will give us a new body like his. I know that sounds strange because you've only had one up until now. But let me tell you, that body you've got is not fit for heaven. Okay? This one, this one is decaying rapidly. Okay, you see that? Where did you go? You know? But, dear Mary, the resurrection of Jesus, is the, she didn't know about the doctrine at this point. Right now, it was the fulfillment of a hope that was so fantastic that she and the rest of the followers of the Lord dared not even to believe it. But it really is him. Alive again. And soon, all of Jesus' disciples would share that joy and it would change their lives forever. One of those was Peter. We've been giving him a hard time. You know how things turned out. Boy, I'll tell you, the resurrection of Christ changed his life. Listen to him. And he can't, I can't put it better than he did in talking about the resurrection of Christ. Here's how he said it in his very first sermon. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs which God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves also know, him being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, you have taken by lawless hands, have crucified and put to death, whom God raised up. But who raised Jesus? But Jesus, who did Jesus say was going to raise himself from the dead? He would. Therefore, what? Jesus is God. Amen. Having loosed the pains of death because it was not possible that he should be held by it. I love that. Did you know it wasn't possible for Jesus to stay dead? He, he's life. <laughs> he can't stay dead. Like Jesus said, I am the first and the last. I am he who lives and was dead and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen, he says. And I have the keys of Hades and of death. You see, he has the keys, Hades, the grave, to death. He's mastered it. He's, he's passed through it. He's, he's beyond death. He's above death. He's above all. Okay? I, I can't tell you how great it is to be able to talk in these terms. You're not at some financial seminar. I'm not telling you how to invest your money. We're talking about life and death with certainty. The one who alone predicted his own resurrection from the dead and then fulfilled that prediction by raising himself from the dead is greater than death itself. Uh, I love Peter's sermon. He quotes uh, a psalm that David wrote. Uh, thou wilt not suffer thy holy one to see corruption, nor leave his soul in Hades. And uh, Peter wants to make it clear, when David wrote those words, he's not talking about himself. He's talking about the Messiah. And so he says this, Men and brethren, let me speak freely to you of the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried, and his tomb is with us today. Isn't that good? Look, you, I don't care who you could name. Muhammad, Confucius, the Buddha, uh, Krishnamurti, Alexander the Great, Hitler, uh, President Bush, 
John Wayne, name them. If they're not dead, they will be. And if they are, they're still dead and buried. Their tomb is with us today, just like David. You can go to the tomb of Jesus. Yeah, they, they're not sure where it is, by the way. They, they have some guesses. But if you could, it's empty. Nothing there. No one else has ever done anything like this because they can't. Jesus alone. Peter concludes his sermon this way. Therefore, being a prophet, talking about David, and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that of the fruit of his body, according to the flesh, he would raise up the Christ to sit on his throne. He, foreseeing this, spoke concerning the resurrection of the Christ, that his soul was not left in Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God has raised up. And you can just hear the excitement and the joy in Peter. As he's saying this with conviction, okay? Of which we are all witnesses. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Amen? Wow. Lord, he's Lord of everyone. You and me, whether you're a Christian or not. But the thing is, he's Lord and something else to everyone. Now, if you're a Christian, he's your Lord and Savior. If you don't know Jesus, he's your Lord and Judge. Which is it? Where are you? It's interesting, you know, people often prepare for life's great events by seeking counsel and advice. Uh... High school and college. You go to an educational counselor. I remember they got appointed to us when I was in high school. Good old Mr. Gellerman. He was a sweet guy. Try to get me to go to Harvard. You're going to get, get a job. You got to go to a career counselor, right? You know, they got to find out what you like to do, what you're good at. You get married, you go to a marriage counselor. You become a parent, you go to a parenting counselor or a family counselor. Retirement, you go to a financial advisor. It's interesting when it comes to death. The closest we come is we, we, uh, we buy a coffin, we buy a plot, and we arrange either for our organs to be donated to science or be cremated or buried. And, and we stop. Isn't that silly? This is not me. Okay, your body, that's not you. Don't focus on that. What have you done about your eternal soul? There's a counselor you can go to. He's called that in Isaiah chapter nine, the counselor. He's, he's a great counselor about death. Have you prepared for the greatest event in your life, the end of it? The gateway to eternal bliss or eternal punishment. Jesus has the keys. He said that to death. He's the guy. He's the one you need to talk to. He's the only one you can talk to. He's been there. He's been to death. He's been through it. And he came back. He's conquered it. He faced the danger and the terror that awaits us. 
and removed that uh, fear and terror by dying for our sins and then raising himself from the dead. It's uh, summarized well in 1 Corinthians 15. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. It's talking about Christians now. For this corruptible must put on incorruption if it's going to go to heaven. And this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible has put on incorruption and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your sting? O grave, where is your victory? That's a taunt song that Christians can sing. The sting of death is sin and the strength of sin is law and jesus has addressed both of them single-handedly the sting of death is sin. he's taken the sting out by dying for our sins and the strength of sin is is the law the law is what gives strength to that that killing ability of sin and jesus faced the law of god and answered it for you and for me he's uh defanged them no wonder he ends this way but thanks be to god who gives us the victory through our lord jesus christ now if you're wondering why christians are so narrow-minded now you know jesus is the only way yeah he said it look you find somebody else that can get you through death and i'll i'll say i was wrong okay you're not going to find him jesus said it best i am the way the truth and the life no one comes to the father except through me hey, man that's better than a counselor huh look you go in and, and uh, get counsel on retirement or or marriage or school or whatever there are no guarantees huh how do you like that stock market the last couple of years huh there's no guarantees anywhere there is a jesus guarantees a happy ending guaranteed okay hundred percent i am he says the resurrection and the life he who believes in me though he were dead yet shall he live let's pray lord jesus we worship you this morning as the risen savior and lord hallelujah and lord we know that uh you're coming back soon eternity won't be enough to praise you and thank you for what you have done in removing the terrors of death for us you've you've turned this terrible thing called death into uh, a wonderful endless eternity with you oh lord how great that is and we look forward to it and lord we want to pray for anyone here this morning who has not dealt with this issue that they would come to you today and take care of it once and for all we ask it in your precious name Amen.